operators. Parked up in the garage. Wow. This has been coming for a long time. These two do not like each other. There are two parts of the story as always. Red flag, this is a suspended uh, race. Hi there, this is the Parked Up Podcast. We're powered by Race Fuels. My name is Grant Rowley and I have a very special man in my life on the other end of this call. Joining me for today's pod, today's Parked Up pod, it's Brett Crusher Murray. Now he is the founder of Bear Media, also the founder and owner of speedcafe.com. It's also the place where I got my first real big boy job. He was crazy enough to employ me many, many years ago when uh, I helped him kick Speed Cafe off back in 2009. And that's enough for me, Crush. How are you? Uh, good, Rowley. Yes, uh, not too bad at all. A um, little bit cold like everybody else in the country, apart from those in Darwin this weekend. But uh, yeah, if you're going okay. Hang on, you live on the Gold Coast and you're saying it's cold. Yeah, it's uh, almost as been as cold as uh, what you're experiencing in Melbourne, but uh, probably not as sharp, but certainly uh, lingering and long. So it hasn't made the golf uh, that pleasant, but uh, <laughs> an unpleasant day on the golf course is better than a... Uh, a pleasant day in the office, as they say. Very good. And so, what's your handicap? What are you What are you down to now? Oh, uh, mid teens, but I need to get down a little bit lower than that. So it's coming down. It's going in the right direction, but uh, we'll need to work it out a bit more. Oh, very good. Cool. Okay. So, um, so I guess, see, look, you've got lots going on in your world, whether it's in uh, in Australia here with Speed Cafe, or or many of your other clients, or even internationally as well how's your media world been treating you of late yeah i think it's all very positive uh you know obviously we've had a couple of really tough years um but i can proudly say that speedcafe.com was the only automotive or motorsport organization in the world that didn't furlough or put anybody off now someone you know someone says oh that's a pretty big statement but i'm yet to be proven wrong so we employed everybody you know full-time everyone got paid everyone got looked after right through might have been a couple of weeks I didn't pay myself, but you know we looked after everybody and uh, come charging out and provided the uh, you know the service that we provided to the fans and to our partners all the way through, and they appreciated that. And I think uh, we we earned even more respect than we previously had, you know, over that time period. Mm, okay, cool. It was a, a a very difficult period, and yeah, lots of uncertainty. But I guess the world has kind of come back it's come back pretty quickly and there's, there seems to be, seems to be heaps going on and uh, people taking, you know, new directions and uh, you know, lots of, uh, lots of things going on all around the place. Now, uh, one of those new directions as was reported in parked up plus on Monday, the uh, looks like uh, you're going to sell the baby. What's going on? Speedcafe.com on the market. Tell us about this. Oh, look, we've had, been having negotiations with a lot of people over a lot of time. Grant, I've been approached many times uh, about the possible sale. We've had some serious conversations recently. Nothing's done. It's far from being done. Um, but everything's positive. And, uh, you know, we've had opportunities to sell before, uh, but to not to the right people. And I always said if I was ever going to sell it, it would be to the right people right organisation that can help it go to the next level and, and provide the service to the fans and the motorsport community that we've built over 14 years, which, as you rightly say, you helped build from day one. And, uh, you know, we've put a lot of effort and uh, blood, sweat and, and toil into that over the last 14-odd uh, years. And uh, we don't want to, uh, you know, if we're going to partner up with somebody, it's someone that's going to, you know, help it help it go to the next level and uh you know we're having discussions with someone at the moment we think that that will uh, certainly do that has the wherefore to do it and the mindset to do it and um that's why we're in discussion okay cool hey look i i didn't uh remember when we started speed cafe and uh, the rumors were all about how obviously you owned it or owned some of it because there was a lot of other people's names who had who were being thrown in there. Uh, if I recall, the industry rumour mill were uh, Roland Dane owns this. Paul Morris owns some of it as well. It was yeah, never, well, it would, But it was just never the case. No, it was never the case. And uh, there was many a time I wish they did because I wouldn't have had to pay the bill. Uh, it probably got a, 
you know, a bit more capability to pay the bill than I have. But, you know, we've stuck with it. No, it's been my baby and uh, I've lived and died by it in regards to laying awake at night and looking at the ceiling and wondering where, you know, the next, you know, dollar's coming from and how we're going to take it to the next level and how we're going to support that and do what we need to do. But, we've, you know, we've always managed to find it and uh, we've got an amazing group of platinum partners that have supported us. Many, some of them have been with us since day one and they're enthusiastic. Uh, they're all passionate about, you know, discussions on the future and, and what we're going to be able to do. Uh, and they're certainly pleased with, you know, what we're doing now. We're the number one independent news source in the world. Uh, we had 60 million page views just under last year and we'll go above that this year. Um, and, you know, and we're always innovative and we're always trying to connect with the community. We believe that, you know, things like our association with motorist ministries um, and, you know, we've raised them over $120,000. You know, their budget was $6,000 a year before we started with them. We think they're a great organisation and intrinsically linked with the, you know, with the sport. Um, you know, and little things like, you know, we got, you know, some old guy will pass away that I haven't even heard of before my time and someone will drop me a note and they'll do a bit of research and you find out that this legend did, you know, all these things and we can run a story on it instead of, 20 people being at his funeral or her funeral, there's 120 and the grandkids realise how great a, you know, a motorsport bloke Pop or Nan was, you know. So yep. they're, they're the things that are important to me. Um, you know, a lot of people find that bullshit and, you know, but to me it's it's all real. You know, it's all about people, um, whether it's people within the business or people re reporting on it or having the discussions with. It's, um, you know, it's really important to me. Yep, you uh, you've certainly built something that is the industry standard. It's the place that most of uh, pretty much all of our industry go to, and yeah, in some ways live and die by. If it's uh, if it's not on Speak FA, it uh, you know it hasn't happened in in Australian motorsport. And just uh, I was there for for day one, or even a few day zeros as well as we were building up to it. Uh, 888 page views, I think, was the number, wouldn't it? 888 page views on day one. So apparently... Uh, maybe that's where the roll-on rumours started. <laughs> maybe that was that was right. It was an interesting launch, though, that 2009 Gold Coast race on your home turf. You've documented this in your book, but and I, I guess I just came in. I think I'd come up like two weeks or about 10 days before that Gold Coast race. Yeah. And sat inside uh, your old office slash house, and, and we we churned through a lot of stuff. The site was built; it just had no content on there. So for seven or eight days, I just plowed away and put a whole bunch of stories in there to try and have it. When when people did go on there, there was a bit of content for them to uh, to have a look at. I think we we're even doing videos at that point. And yeah, video you know, YouTube had only been invented a couple of years beforehand, so. Uh, yeah. It was all it was all pretty pretty fresh, but there was other things going on in your world on that weekend as well with A1 Grand Prix, which were meant to come to the Gold Coast for their their first time, and they just didn't come. And I guess why that affected you is because you were doing the PR uh, for that event, a, a job that you had uh, undertaken for many many years prior as well. In its, um, in you know, in those awesome IndyCar days that we had through the through the nineties, and uh, yeah, all of a sudden we ended up with what could only be described as a shit show. Yeah, it was a shit show. It was probably the biggest, uh, you know, when you look back at it now, and uh, you know, I think the line in the book is, "I got to the Sunday night, and we had a house we booked over on the beach, and we had a party there that night for everybody, and I went out by myself and I had a beer." It was about quarter to 12 and I just looked out at the track and I just thought how the f did we do that but mm -hmm. um it was 20 to 22 hours a day non-stop for 10 days like we finally got approval we come up with the legends per tech legends concept mm -hmm. which was only approved on the Saturday prior to the race um I'd put all these things in play I'd run all the legends and and they said, yeah, yeah, no worries. We've got 12 months to put together. I said, no, no, not next year, next next week. Mm -hmm. um, we get a deal with the Bowden family. And uh, I wrote a check for 20, a personal check for 25 grand on the Thursday before so they could start work on the cars and have some confidence that that was going to happen. So if they decided not to do it, I would have lost my 25K, although I'm sure the Bowden boys would have given me a little bit back. But um, 
we had to pull that together. We had drivers, race suits, marketing materials, reorganised the whole race program, TV schedules, uh, the entire the entire deal. And we had international drivers. We had all these things going on, and um, you know we sort of gathered a couple of extra people around us, and it was exhausting. It was just I got to the end of it, and I was just absolutely sapped. You know, it was probably the biggest challenge I've ever had in, in my life. We saved the event. Probably saved the government, to be honest, because no one was listening before then. And you know, I tried. I got to a couple of blokes through the back door and just said, "Hey, this is what's going on." Um, I had I had all my people on the ground at A1GP. I knew what was going on. I knew what was going on with the tire delivery. I knew all those things that what that was never going to happen. And you know, the problem is that they'd already written a check, and you know, we were dealing with some people who had no idea what they were doing. So unfortunately, well, fortunately, a couple of guys within the government guy called. Phil Reeves, who was the sports minister, he sort of trusted me and, and had faith. Uh, and we pulled it together and then we had a meeting with uh, Cochrane and Co. Um, and basically reformatted the whole thing, went forward. And then, you know, that's when, you know, Spacely Supercars had carte blanche to walk in there the next year and, and take the show over. So yeah, um, that was the year then they gave me the ass. So, you know, nothing unusual about that. <laughs> yeah, wild times for sure. But uh, I guess uh, I was kind of happy with it because you had so much going on. It meant that I could just do the speakcafe.com thing and or speakcafe.com.au as it was back then. And I didn't have too much heat from you because you had uh, balls flying in all different uh, other places as well. So my first weekend as Speak Cafe editor was... Um, was uh i didn't have too much heat but that heat eventually came it came rolly <laughs> you deserved it you got it but, uh, but, uh, yeah i mean the great thing about that whole weekend is you know we had you know as part of that whole uh deal i could then leverage up a whole heap of speaker fade branding on different things and build that into the deal that i was doing because i wasn't taking any money but i leveraged it up with some signage and branding and access and a few of those other things. Um, so I just played a straight bat and just leveraged it up. And um, the great thing was we rolled it out on a Thursday morning and no one had a clue. It was just one of the greatest blind sides of all time. Maybe one of the biggest that you know, this country's seen, I think, in, in certainly in regards to our space. Um, I think everyone thought you were coming to work for me on the PR front and had no idea about, you know, what we were trying to create or mm. what the idea was and how we did it. We managed to keep it super tight. And uh, despite the amount of people we had internally at BAM, which is probably, you know, a good indication of that business and the people we had there at the time and continue to have, um, that we managed to roll it out. And I remember, uh, you know, at, at my way of thinking was it, 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 it was part of the community. So, you know, the other motorsport magazines and stuff, I was there to compliment. It, was, it wasn't in basically in challenge to them. It was going to offer something different. So I actually even had a link where we had, we had a, a section on the site saying, you know, what are the others saying? We're actually going to promote their product. We were going to do that. We were, were, we that. were going to do that. That was and a then, plan. Uh, you, you'll remember that uh, there was a bit of a union meeting called amongst <laughs> the other publications and, you know, started spruiking how this was a, propaganda machine for my BAM clients and all those things were going to happen and then how they refused to run any stories about our clients and everyone's going to blackball it and they're going to put us out of business. Anyway, so the guy who instigated that, I actually saw him uh, at the event, same event a couple of years later and uh, he was out without a full-time job. He had a part-time job, I think, and uh, he was having a dart at the back of the media bus and said, oh, here he is, Crusher, the man who uh, reinvented reinvented media and put us all out of business. And I said, well, that's a coincidence because I thought that's what you were going to do to me. Mm. And uh, and I just moved on. So uh, unfortunately, you know, there's a space for everybody. Everybody has an opportunity to plan the space we do. But um, unfortunately, some people just put their energy into causing havoc for everyone else instead of looking after their own show. And if they manage to uh, put their energy in those directions uh they'd probably find they'd go okay it, it was really cool to be part of uh i think i was i was uh, with you for three and a half years at the uh, at the very start of it and i guess uh like i love the fact that it uh it lives and breathes today and and um and remains that 
place to go. Just personally, I feel like there's a, you know, still a little bit of my fingerprints over that, like um, in, in some ways, just, you know, helping it set up and, and get going. But look, it's a people game and you've had the best of Australian journos uh, come through the gate and, and run the show there. So uh, that, that's probably a real key behind its longevity and its uh, success over a decade into it. Yeah, well, I think if they weren't the best when they walked in, they were close to it when they walked out, which is, you know, something that, uh, you know, I, I class across 30 years in my PR business and 14 years of Speak Cafe. My, you know, I like to think my legacy will be what my staff have learned and how they've developed and what they've gone on to do over time. Some, some of them haven't given themselves enough time and, you know, found a, an escape route you know, responsibilities or whatever, and, uh, and made to, that's their choice. But, um, you know, you look at what some of those people are doing now and, you know, in all different parts of the world and how they're doing it, you know, there's a fair list of them. And um, there's not too many that don't get invited back for a beer when we have something to celebrate. And to be honest, one of the, you know, one of the great things is, is when they, one of them goes and gets another great deal internationally or whatever, they ring me and tell me and thank me, you know, um, which is, you know, it's like a, like a proud old father, I guess. I'm not old enough to be any of your father, but but uh, there's a real sense of pride in that. Cool. All right. Well, look, we could reminisce over uh, Speed Cafe for all of the uh, days. Certainly, the launch was a uh, was a wild one. Not not necessarily, you know, starting a news website, but um, there were a couple of other. I guess we broke so many stories. Certainly in the, that that early time. Uh, you know, we're breaking stories and we became the place to go. And yeah, I'd been in the game for seven years prior working at um, Motorsport News and I knew my way around the traps. But yes, I certainly uh, felt like I went to the, uh, was able to go to the next level with that, uh, with the great platform. But there were also a couple of uh, controversial times that, uh, that we had together. And I can think of two of them, both of them, wrap around Bathurst. Now one was, uh, I think it was 2010. I think it was 2010 and Lowndes had on the Friday just gone provisional poll or Wink Up had gone provisional poll. And there was a lot of interest, you know, Bathurst always brings the interest. It brought so much interest just through that qualifying session that the website went down. It crashed. I couldn't find you. And I, I didn't really know what to do because I couldn't do anything. I couldn't put any stories up. The thing was down. I eventually found you in a bar somewhere. You weren't happy at all. No, I wasn't. And I think after that day, that happened maybe one more time in the 14-year history of the deal. I did, uh, it was about, you know, my probably my management style is a little bit different to what it was that, that day, Grant. But, <laughs> um, you know, we had to find a solution and, uh, and press on. But, you know, we had a lot at stake and, you know, we had great numbers and obviously you know, people were loving what we're delivering and we couldn't deliver it. So, you know, one of my sayings, as you rightly know, is under promise and over deliver. And that's how we've managed to keep our clients over the years and partners with Speed Cafe. Um, so, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a pretty day, but, uh, you know, now it costs us an, an enormous amount of money to make sure that doesn't, that doesn't happen through the, the technology and the support and everything we have to have in place to make sure that, you know, you can handle the traffic that we actually get. So, but we, we spend that money and we make that investment to make sure that we don't have those issues. Now, the other, uh, the other slightly more comical controversy that we had, what's that? Sorry. Involved tires. Is it involved tires and our good friends at Dunlop, you, myself, and, our, uh, my, my sidekick at the time, Stefan Bartholomeus, who went on to become editor, now working with Noonan and uh, doing a whole bunch of stuff there. But uh, we decided to pull out the little uh, Speed Cafe camera and go and in, invade Bathurst, invade Pitt Strait while uh, they were unloading the uh, shortfall of uh, wet tyres. I think they were wet tyres and they yeah, didn't right. have enough wets for the weekend and it looked like the whole weekend was going to be wet so Dunlop had to get a uh, extra emergency shipment from Melbourne to come in and and um, 
we were lurking around the uh, our our residence for the evening at that uh, at that house that you always uh, we always stayed at, and uh, we'd come up with the hatch the plan to go and um, film these tires coming off the uh, back of the truck and into the. I don't uh, think that's into- the plan. I don't think that's how, how it went. I think it went something like, "What the f- are you blokes doing here? You should be down at the track getting tires." And you said, "We're not going out unless you go out." And I said, "Right, well, let's go." And we went and drove the car down. And we sat in the pit lane, and you blokes got out. And I sat there with a bowl of red in the car and watched the tires get unloaded. And then you went in, and and to the surprise of everybody there, you know, a, oh, holy moly, a journalist was actually doing his job. And instead of being at the pub, was actually recording the facts and figures of what's going on, and they all got a bit of a surprise. That's uh, yeah. ever since. <laughs> so much of a surprise that the broadcast rules were. They were always in place that you weren't allowed to do any filming at the track, but they were heavily enforced and they still remain the same today. Yeah. It's got to be more than 10 years on where, you know, you can't film various bits of the track. Now we, we, did, we tried to do lots of video at the circuit news, new style videos. Uh, that was something that was, we tried to do quite a bit of, and, and you guys continue to do that. Uh, today but at that point the supercars were pretty relaxed on on uh, editorial uh, being captured at the at the track behind the pits or whatever after that event it was clamped down like we weren't uh, we weren't allowed to do a single frame of video stuff at all um, well, yeah. god help anybody trying to do their job eh? Uh, yeah, it was, uh, that was some crazy time. So now we went after the, uh, after all the kerfuffle went down in pit lane and Damien White was uh, getting pretty upset at me. And um, uh, it was, uh, it was kind of entertaining. Anyway, we drove up to the top of the hill and you pulled out what remained of that bottle of red or another bottle that you had stashed and gazed across the mountain. And you were, uh, you were quite chuffed with, uh, with what had, <laughs> with what oh, had wow. just happened. I actually still look back at that uh, that day with fondness. Um, we could reminisce about uh, all of the things, but let's uh, let's look forward a little bit. Um, so, supercars remains the uh, the reason why people go to Speed Cafe, really, and certainly in our local uh, in our local sphere. But I saw a stat that you guys had put out. I think it was around Bathurst time. It was the top five news stories that we clicked on, and four of them were international stories. So. It's not just the like uh, us local motorsport motoring industry types really rely on Speed Cafe, but it plays a really important role in uh, telling the global motorsport story as well. Oh, without doubt. I mean, you know, you know, Speed um, Supercars is is you know it's the big game in town. Um, we all love it. We love the people. We've got many friends there. We've built relationships over there over some of us over three or four decades. Um, and, you know, we're respectful of what it is. We understand that, you know, the investment that people make in it, the amount of people that it employs. But at the end of the day, it's got to be a legitimate sport and there's got to be, you know, uh, decent news yarns written about it. And sometimes I think the powers to be don't, you know, necessarily understand that or understand what's good for the sport and what's not. But our coverage of F1 through Matt Kosh has been, uh, which has been fantastic. He's the only guy with a full-time F1 accreditation outside of Europe and which get, gives him access to other stuff outside of events. Um, so he's earned that over X amount of years. You know, we've got a bit of depth in regards to how we cover it. Um, obviously, you know, I've got very strong links in uh, the US. McLaughlin going to going to IndyCar has been, you know, we knew that would be would sparkle that up um, on top of Will being there and Scotty Dixon. So that's been great. We've got Hummel McRae and Indy Lights over there and Matty Brabham. Who obviously I'm close to, I'm close to both those kids doing a, doing a terrific job. We want to be able to tell those stories, you know. We want to be able to tell those the young kids' stories that really no one else has taken the time or bothered. Mainstream media is not going to cover it, but we want to be able to tell that story. So, you know, there are opportunities to get the funding or get those things that they can go and, you know, provide these bits and pieces. And it's okay to say, oh, well, you know, yeah, you can be treated... You know, 95% of the time we're treated terrifically. The other 5%, you got people with, you know, the heads up their butt. The reality is during that whole COVID period and what we delivered, you know, helped keep those teams alive. Now, I'm not taking direct credit for it, 
but everyone was doing media reports every month, supercars included, and all, you know, 95% of those links were coming back to our website. So, you know, they're happy to, to use all that stuff, you know, to promote them and the sponsors, but, you know, it goes, it's a two-way street. And, you know, as I said, 95% of the time, we've got terrific relationships. We've built that over time. But sometimes I think people just get a bit lost, sometimes in their own importance, sometimes in their lack of knowledge, you know, sometimes without an understanding of what the bigger picture is. Okay, cool. So you've uh, seen the, the uh, rise of the websites. Uh, if anything, in, in in our motorsport industry, you probably were the, were the first to really stick your neck out and do it properly other than category-related websites like, uh, you know, supercars, but to the first sort of independent to really give it a big crack here in Australia. What's What do you think the next step is? Oh, no, I think certainly uh, there'll be more international stuff. We've got a framework in play. You know that you're at the 10th anniversary um, when we had a dinner and invited everybody back and talked about what the plans were. And obviously the world turned upside down since then. Um, but I think, you know, there's opportunity internationally to take the brand. The brand's already where I can't work, walk into a media centre anywhere in the world uh, with a speaker if I had on and have, not have someone come up and talk to me. But yeah, just some random come up and say, oh, I love the site or introduce themselves or actually know the site. So I think we've done a good job at the core to be able to build that. The other big thing for us is Talk Cafe, which Stephen Otley is terrific, you know, automotive journalist. The Talk Cafe side of the business was developed to try and get that link between performance motoring and the track. And that's worked worked terrifically for us. Also giving us another uh, avenue for our partners to promote their products that are, that are relative. Um, and I think there's some um, some real growth in that area as well, without doubt. Okay, cool. Now let's uh, just uh, very quickly. Uh, before I've got uh, we've got a chat that Mark Fogarty did with Craig Lowndes, the full interview. You heard parts of it on uh, Parked Up Plus on Monday. Of course, that comes out at five pm. We've got the full chat coming up with him first. But while Crush, before we let you go, and we thank you for coming on and giving us so uh, great insights into the Speed Cafe and uh, your world. But like, really, one of the coolest things that you did was have an entry in the Indy 500, not just any Indy 500 too, the 100th running of the race, 100th running or 100th anniversary, which one was it? Uh, 100th running, yeah. Right. Now you had an entry there, of course, it was the uh, Pertec team, Murray, Matthew Brabham drove it, as you uh, just mentioned just before. Is that the only one you're going to do? Are you going to do another? Oh, look, mate, I, I'd love to. That, that was a perfect storm. It was the 100th race. You know, I had this epiphany that uh, just sitting on a bench in Sydney after I'd been to a meeting and I don't even know where it come from. I just always said that one day I'd have my own car on the race. And, uh, you know, I sort of wrote my book that, you know, I was talking to Max, my young bloke, about, you know, doing anything you can do. So I thought it was time to shit or get off the pot. So I thought if I'm ever going to have a chance to do it, this is going to be it. So I made a couple of phone calls and then started to put the whole thing together and got, you know, amazing support from uh, Pertec and, you know, Peter and Glenn Duncan, who own Pertec, and Steve Dutton, who runs the show in Australia and uh, been amazing clients of mine for 20-odd years and came on board because they wanted to thank me for what I'd helped them do with their business, which, you know, even today makes the hairs on the back of my neck stand up because it was, you know, it was a big check. But we went there, we did some amazing stuff with uh, military groups, the Chris Cole Frog Foundation, and built a whole program which, you know, really hadn't been seen there before. And we've got uh, one of the great things about that weekend. One of the things I really remember was the Sunday night, you know, we're pretty, pretty much exhausted. And, and Robin Miller, who was, you know, a great American journalist who sadly passed away, cancer two months ago. In fact, this year was going into that media centre and not having him there was, uh, was a bit tough. They got a little shrine there for him and that was all pretty cool. He came and found me on the Sunday night and Robin was a hard-ass old racer, you know. He, he, he didn't really give a shit about what I did, you know, in regards to media and marketing and all that stuff. But he came and found me and knocked on the door and dragged me outside and said, hey, kid, you've been here 10 minutes. You look like you've been here 30 years. He said, you killed him. Mm-hmm. And that was probably, above everything else, that was the thing that, was one of the real cool moments, you know, to have someone like that actually recognise it. Other people obviously did recognise it, but for whatever reason, we're never going to say anything. 
but uh, to have someone like that, independent like that, come and, you know, one, take the effort to come all the way down there to find me to tell me that. Um, and he wasn't coming for a free beer because he didn't drink. You know, it was, was very, very cool. And we changed a lot of people's lives. And I think that was the thing that was really special. We're actually trying to put a book together, which we'll probably put together for the 10th anniversary in a few years' time. So we've got a few things, but bring all the elements together and what it took to do that. And, you know, I was, I was spent. There was a story in that, you know, as you know, the book that on the Sunday night, uh, I'd been in a town, all my family, my mates had come over and it was about a group of about 50 people. And I had, they'd gone to dinner and I'd stayed at the track to have a beer with my, my crew and boys and really soak in what we'd achieved. And I uh, got into town, had a beer and I was walking back to the motel just by myself and the phone rang and it was Matt. And uh, he said, where are you? What's going on? I said, well, I'm going to the motel room. He said, mate, he was at the driver's party. Yeah, mate, Lady Gaga's here. She wants to meet the crush. <laughs> and I said, Well, that's lovely, but you tell Lady Gaga that the crush is <laughs> and I'm going to bed. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, yeah. Maybe, I don't know, a 15 year old girl wouldn't have passed that up, but I reckon for what you had achieved over that weekend, then, uh, yeah, missing out an opportunity to uh, meet Lady Gaga was. Uh, probably fair fair way off your mind. Um, you didn't answer my question though. Would would you do it? Oh, I'm, I'm not going to ask. Would uh, you do it again? Of course yeah. you. Of course, of course you would. But do, uh, do do you have an idea to do that, or even another event? Yeah, no. I'd like to. Uh, funny enough, I actually tried to put a put a deal together for uh, the Sydney to Hobart, and I hate sailing, um, but I thought that'd be pretty cool to be able to pull something like that together. And we got very very close. Were you going to be on the boat? Yeah. Yeah, I was going to do it. I hate sailing. Absolutely hate it. But it'd be cool to say that you've done that. Yep. In fact, I was supposed to do it with a, a couple of mates of mine the year of the really bad one. Um, and we pulled out about six weeks to go because the boat, um, the skipper of the boat was going to South Africa or something. So we never actually did it. We trained and we did a lot of things for it. Thank God that we never did it because I would have absolutely shit myself. But to answer your question, uh, yeah, every year, you, get, you know, the, the memories come up and it's like all the crew, you know, you're like, hey, Crush, when are you doing this again? And I go to, I went to India this year, which was the first time in three years because of COVID. It was just great to be there. It wasn't too good for my liver, but uh, um, it was great to be there. And, you know, I've had a dollar for every time someone asks us, well, you know, whether we're coming back, we're going to do it again. Um, you know, probably could have paid for my flight home. But um, if I was coming back, I'd want to do it for five years. Um, I do the road course and the 500. We linked with uh, a really good partner. We had a really good partner the first time in KV who allowed me to do what I did. Um, and I think that, you know, coming in blind to a team, uh, being able to show them what we did in that 2016 event would give them some confidence to let us do what we do. Um, so we linked with a, the right team uh, and, and roll it out. But I want a five-year commitment, build a real program around it, build a bit of a cult following, uh, link it with a full-time team that, you know, we could run some partnerships with through the year uh, and come out the other side. It wouldn't be about, you know, you want to make any money out of it. You just want to be able to cover your costs and go and do it. And, you know, so many people, we had so many people in that team that were part-timers we gave a crack to that have ended up full-time in teams now. Like, guys, there's like three or four guys in pit lane that, you know, came through that program. We gave them a start and then, and they, you know, they're in the game full-time. Um, yeah, cool. quite amazing but we you know we built so many great relationships over that gold coast era from the early 90s through to the 2000s you know that was the thing that gave the confidence in you know and i went in and sat in the indycar boardroom and that was just hey this is what we want to do and showed them the the prop you know they, they knew we weren't full of shit they knew we were going to get it done because of what we'd done previously and they had the confidence in us and supported us you know um you know, Jay Fry, who's heading up, still ends up in the car, was an enormous supporter and had a belief in, you know, what we were trying to achieve. Kevin Kalkoven, God bless his soul, uh, you know, was, you know, again, was a big fan of mine and, you know, we had a wonderful relationship and unfortunately he passed away two days after my own dad in December and, um, you know, like he was enormously supportive and enjoyed every minute of it, loved being involved in it, you know, like, and the military stuff we did and, you know, we had 500 military people and their families over that two-week period that we hosted in a hospitality. You know, we had the military pit crew that, that represented us in the pit crew competition and they got beaten by a fraction of a second. And as it turned out, every car in that lane uh, got beat because of the surface of the lane. So, 
you know, they all got amongst it and great memories and, you know, it'd be fantastic to build a program around it. So, yeah, it's a, I know it's a long-winded answer, but, yeah, yes, yes, I would do it again, but it'd be a five-year commitment and with a partner that, you know, really wanted to have some fun and, and, and understand what can be brought out of it other than just a sticker on a car, like, you know, the opportunity to change people's lives and get people involved and, and you know, again, leave a real legacy. Yeah, cool. What a uh, what a what a journey that uh, just that one event must have uh, must have been for you. And I know there's a bunch of Aussies down here are just looking for the excuse to go back to the Indy 500. So you you definitely won't need to convince them to to come and watch and support or be a part of it if uh, if you do decide to go back. Um, Crush, I'm going to keep you on the line just for a moment. Now I'm going to uh, we're going to throw to uh, the chat that folks had. With Craig Lowndes, Craig, of course, is driving the super cheap auto wildcard with Declan Fraser in the Repco Bathurst 1000. And uh, Fogues asked him some pretty Fogues-like hard-hitting questions. And uh, this is the full chat right here now. Well, Craig, you've said it's not going to be your last Bathurst 1000. So how long do you think you can still keep racing and going to the mountains? Uh, well, that's a good question. I think that when I first started, you know, looking back on, you know, Jimmy Richards, even John Bow, a lot of those guys that I looked up to when I first got involved, um, I think it comes down to a couple of things. I think the main one being fast enough and, and not just circulating just for the sake of circulating and making up the numbers, but also uh, the enjoyment of still being inside a race car and, and being at a place like Bathurst. So for me, uh, it's this year and next year that's guaranteed and then of course we look to beyond that hopefully uh, but I think these next couple of years will be a telling factor about how much further or if, if it, in fact um, we go beyond in the next year. So how are you going to get up to speed for this year's event because well haven't done a lot of racing so far this season so what's the plan to get you know, get your little match fit again? <laughs> yeah I suppose uh, obviously, the test days are going to be really uh, vital to, to be able to be part of that. Um, we're, we're going to be part of the, the Super 2 program uh, for the test days this year, uh, doing the 12-hour, even though it was in a cup car in a Porsche. Um, it still gave us miles around the place and actually keeps us uh, familiarised with the circuit. That track side of it, it's not going to be a problem. It's just obviously the evolution of the car, of, of keeping up to date with what the team's done in the sense of setups and uh, their philosophy on on setups is something that I'm be, I'm spending more time now in the team to get up to speed with that side of it, see what direction they're going with. Uh, having some uh, close people around us that we know very well that work on the car, I think of, of the familiarity of, of having those uh, workers around us, I think it's going to be uh, make that sort of transition into that sort of speed-wise much easier. Is there a plan for the... The tests, the pre-Bathurst test yet? Do you know when and where you'll start um, having a go? Uh, well, our test, test circuit will be QR. That, that'll be uh, uh, what we use as a test base. Uh, the test days are, are getting uh, secured now. And I think that there's a couple of, definitely a couple of test days uh, that we'll be involved in. I think that the, the main one will be when the two Red Bull cars are, are part of that uh, big test, which is the Bathurst test we always do every year. And that'll give us a benchmark about where we're at uh, in the sense of lap times and speed-wise. And, you know, really at the end of the day, Declan and I are, are really, you know, happy and confident going to Bathurst, knowing that it's, it, and I know fair well that it doesn't matter where you qualify, it's just a matter of where you end up. So um, keeping him uh, basically focused on the driving sense and the, and the, the approach of, of what I suppose Brock did with me back in 94, um, I'll be trying to sort of emulate that a little bit uh, come this year. You're always a contender in the Bathurst 1000. Now you've been partnered by, you know, a young promising driver, but he's a rookie. So different for you. Is a podium or even going for the win still, still realistic this year? Oh, absolutely. In my, in my view, in my eyes, yeah, definitely a podium is, is, is the, the, the aim. Um, what part of that step that we'll be on, I'm not sure, but uh, yeah, definitely. I think that uh, if we can go into the weekend like I've always done, and you know, there's no secret, if, 
you look at my history of it, I, I never want to be on pole position or I've never wanted to run at the front of the race, early parts of the race, uh, but come sort of midday later in the race, you want to sort of migrate yourself forward. And I think strategy, I love that. Why I love that is because it, it, it's, it's everything. It's a strategy. It's, it's a bit of luck, but it's the teamwork. It's everything that goes on during the day. The attrition rate, like I've been there with fast cars and not been on the podium. And I've been there with slow cars and, and won the race. So it's, it, for me, it's, it's all about the day and, and seeing what the, the weather pattern does, knowing how the track's going to evolve over the day. And, you know, and, and for me, I think that that's the challenges that I hopefully can bring can bring with the experiences and everything else that we've done over the years but yeah like i'm i'm dead keen on on being on the podium and it's also a different role because well you'd be acting as mentor to declan as well and this well this turns back the clock it's it's a role reversal of your debut way back in 1994 isn't it absolutely and i think that uh, i struggled when i first went there but uh, in saying that, the environment today is much different than when I first got there. I went from Formula Ford into a supercar, where now you've got Super 3, Super 2. So you, the progression into this category is much nicer now than what it was. Nothing, not taking away that you know Declan is a talented driver and a, put him on a platform or an event like Bathurst is, is huge. And, he, and, I, and if he doesn't have nerves, I'll be, I'll be worried. Because I still get nerves when I still go there because of, of the enormity of, of the event and, and what it provides. So, uh, yeah, this year is, is all going to be about trying to get him relaxed, getting focused on, on what, what the big picture is, not just one lap speed. It, it's the big picture. It, it's being there at the end of the day, being uh, hopefully in the top three or four cars uh, in that last hour, so again, hope yeah, my experience and, and guiding him through those first couple of days uh, will be you know really important to make sure that we you know we keep both of us grounded and, and know what our expectations will be. Well, finally, you've raced with and against Jamie Wincup for so many years. He's now the team boss. How's he doing? Do you think so far? What's your observation and? How has he changed? Uh, good question. I, my observation of Jamie from a driver, obviously, you know, his results stand for themselves. As transitioning into a business owner management role, I think he's done a, a good job. He's inherited a race team that's winning. So on the face of it, it's continued to win, which I think that is, you know, a credit for him to be able to keep that momentum going. Uh, I think he's learning a lot. There's no doubt that as a personality, you're always going to put a little bit of a stamp on what the ways that you would like to run the team and everything else. But from what I've seen, everyone in there is still happy. Uh, everyone's still focused on, on the goal. And, uh, you know, time will tell. I think that really next year when we go to the Gen 3 car, that's when, you know, we all transition into a brand new car there's no history, there's no data, there's nothing to, to back up on. Uh, I think that you know, every team, will, that'll be the telling factor of which team down pit lane get hold of the Gen 3 car and, and make it work properly. Speaking of Gen 3, are you looking forward to having a go in one? Are there any plans for you to uh, do some development testing uh, you know, as we build up to next year? Uh, well, last year I did three full days of development of the engine uh, in a donor car, and that was something that, uh, that you know I was happy to do, and I, I enjoy that side of it. Uh, you know, we, we go into a new era of you know fly-by-wire, everything else, single butterfly intake instead of the eight trumpets. So there was yeah, the three days was was matching the the fly-by-wire to the butterfly, the butterfly then to the mapping side of it, uh, and I really enjoyed that that process. Uh, driving the Camaro, I've, I've done a day in the Camaro at QR, and but that was before that they refurbished it all for taller drivers. Uh, the car itself, ergonomically for me, was fine, but for tall drivers like a, a Brody Kostecki and, and a Shane Van Gisbergen ha had some issues, but I don't believe that's the, pro that's the, um, the fact now. But the lack of aero that 
it produces, which is really interesting because it, it takes me back to the early 90s when I first started. That, that style of driving will, I think, be very beneficial for the Gen 3 car with less downforce, faster terminal speed. Uh, but again, brake zone, braking zones and everything else are going to obviously be very different. And it, and it shows that when you drive the Camaro, it's, you know, it QR, I think it was about eight or nine kilometers slower through turn one than our current ZB, but straight line, it's faster with less drag and less downfall. So it, it, it brings me back to, as I said, brings me back to those early days. And, and I think if you listen to some of the comments from a James Courtney or a Garth Tander, very much the similar of what I've just described. But then if you look at a, a, a Will Brown or a Brody Gostecki, uh, they haven't been through that era and, and they were you know, very different. Like they say, the car is very loose to drive, but that was what we grew up with. And we thank Craig and folks for that chat. Uh, Crush, uh, let's wrap it up. But uh, we've got Darwin Supercars on this weekend. I know you love a punt. Who's going to win? Oh, look, I, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's all the people's game. And I think, you know, Van Gears, he's, he's just a freak. Um, and, and you always got to start with him. He'll always start favourite because of, of what he is. Um, but I think, um, you know, he, he'll, be, he'll be certainly hard to beat. Obviously, Tickford got on a bit of a roll at the last round. Um, so it's good to see them a bit more competitive and being a part of it. Um, like I said, the Wilkinshaw boys, WAU get up there. I think Chaz um, is due to step up again, and I think um, you know they'll be competitive. But I think we'll see you know them a real ray of light come from those guys in Townsville uh, on that street course. I think they'll be they'll be pretty competitive there, and I think uh, you know maybe the Erebus Erebus guys, uh, Will and Brady are also due to you know they've been quite solid just but i think they're due to you know maybe stir them up a bit as well mm, cool and uh, you did all that without mentioning uh dick johnson racing either who um who have had a, a lot of success uh up in hidden valley so it does with uh, as you were saying about cam waters coming into the frame at winton it has added an extra an extra person into the mix, which is which is great because at one stage it looked like it was going to be SVG and Daylight next, but yeah. Just on that, I think that, uh, you know, yeah, not purposely if I left them out. Um, uh, obviously, both uh, Anton and Will will be, obviously be very competitive. And um, the one thing I would say is uh, how, how terrific is that the super, all those supercar teams have embraced the Indigenous round up there and come up with the liveries they've got. And they're all quite spectacular, but I've got to say that that DJR Shell V Power livery is something else. Yeah. Um, obviously, the colours help with that, but um, they've done a spectacular job. And um, and uh, while on that, Ryan Story and Betty Clemenko to get their gongs in the Queen's Honours list was also terrific for both of them uh, for what they do, not only for the sport, but you know behind the scenes with all their charity efforts. Um, I don't think anyone sees half the stuff of those two to do the two, two totally different characters uh, and how about they go about their business. They're both both weird cats in their own way, as we all are, but mm-hmm. um, no one can uh, ever take away their uh, their commitment to the sport or, or their uh, commitment to the community. No uh, no Queen's birthday nod for yourself, though? No, nah, not yet. <laughs> I think she'll die before uh, mine, mine comes along. Well. <laughs> you get the king. Maybe you get the king's nod. I'll get the king's nod. I'll get a... Uh, and I'll get the letter on my 100th. Very good. Maybe. Very good. No one thought I'd make my 50th, let alone the 100th. Now, do we see you in Darwin this weekend? I will not be there. I will not be at the Darwin event this weekend, but uh, I am looking forward to going to Townsville. We've got the Speed Cafe Green Room on the Sunday night, return. Ooh. Return. Uh, after two years of in, uh, being smashed by COVID, so we're, uh, we're at the Mad Cow. Uh, oh. Back at our regular uh haunt and uh be on the sunday night and uh it'll be it'll be great it'll just be nice to to see everybody and get everyone in a social atmosphere after so long and and reignite the the green room concept which actually started in townsville it did second i think second year i think it was the second year it might have Uh, well it was it was 2010 so it was the first time that speed cafe went to 
Townsville. And it was, I think it was the Saturday night and you, myself and a couple of others were just hanging out. It wasn't at the Mad Cow, it was the uh, other joint, which I think is shut down now. Yeah. Um, and and they, they come up course, with a concept at three in the morning and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. And then the guys PA arrived at the track at 11 o'clock the next morning with tickets printed and lanyards and the whole thing. I thought, oh, shit, this is a bit serious. So, yeah, and it turned out to be a, to be a cracking night and set the foundation for, you know, our annual events uh, at Townsville on the Gold Coast on a Sunday night, you know, which we've had great supporters. We've got Dasher and Fisher on board again this year, part of the Grove Group, and um, they've been terrific supporters of uh, of the cafe, and uh, so it'll be good to see those boys there and everyone having a bit of fun and everyone just relaxing. It'd be great to get everyone in a relaxed environment and having a bit of fun. I think that's, uh, there's not enough of it. And, you know, we've tried to create that with, you know, what we've done with that that event and uh, and the fans can can come and be a part of it. And, you know, I think uh, it's another thing. It's just part of the, the community thing that we, we feel is our, our responsibility is, you know, having the cafe. Yeah, it's good. It's good. I was uh, there for the very first one and I'll be there for many more to come, hopefully. Brett Crusher-Murray, thank you so much for joining us on uh, this episode of Parked Up, we covered a lot of ground and there's uh, just so many, so much more that, that you could do with what you've created. And uh, yeah, look, sounds like there might be some some change coming, but uh, you know, it's, it's, I, I'd imagine it's always going to be your thing and you'll, and you'll, uh, you'll keep your fingerprints on it for as long as you can. Yeah, there's always going to be change. Not, uh, there'll always be change because you don't you don't change. You stand still. You stand still. You go go backwards. So, as the old saying goes, so you know we've got to keep innovating, changing. Some stuff works, some stuff doesn't. But you've got to keep having a go and change, being innovative and creative, and and uh, working out you know what the fans want and how they want it delivered and what's good for the sport. And you know that we all have you know just remember that we have a responsibility to that and be humble about it and, um, you know, and push on. Cool, mate. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Brett Murray. This is Grant Rowley. That is enough from us. This is Parked Up. Of course, you can get uh, more Parked Up uh, with Mark Fogarty every Monday at 5 p.m. You can also listen to Girls on the Grid and they also put out theirs on Monday. They're coming up to episode 20. I'm a podcast machine crush. Yeah. I just love I just love putting them together. They're great. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> you don't sound that thrilled. <laughs> as long as someone's paying your bill. Thanks, mate. Thank All you. Right. Well, uh, I should thank Race Fields on the way out, and uh, you'll hear from me next week. You've just listened to another Network Heart production. 